Working from home has its pros, but there are Agilists out there that are facing some difficulty managing teams while remote. In the 13th episode of The Modern Agilist, we speak with remote Agile leader Mark Kilby. Mark has written two books, From Chaos to Successful Distributed Agile Teams, Collaborate to Deliver, and Exploring the Open Space Mindset. Mark will give you an insight and strategy on how to become a better remote Agile leader. All right, thanks everybody for tuning in for another episode of The Modern Agilist, where we discuss all things regarding large-scale software delivery, and we bring on experts and get the alpha for you and take you deeper than what you're going to find in your typical uh, um, meetup or certification course. Today, we are very proud to have Mark Kilby, co-author of From Chaos to Successfully Distributed Agile Teams, subtitle Collaborate to Deliver. Thanks for being on the show, Mark. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And emphasis on the chaos part, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Mark, how maybe if you could uh, let us know, kind of, what is it you do now, and how has this kind of specialized area or focus become like a dominant theme to kind of your your whole wheelhouse? So, it, so it's funny. People think of it as a a specialty but it's really a refocusing of agile principles. Um, and and let, me, let me explain a little bit of that. So when I started before the gray hairs, I'll put it that way, uh, about 99, uh, 2000, when some of the first articles and like the first XP book came out, anything was possible as far as agile. And there was not as much structure and frameworks as we have now. And so there was a lot, a lot more emphasis on what are values and principles. There's still some of that now, but not as much. There's, there's a lot in place, there's a lot written, but there's still boundaries to explore. And what I discovered over the last several years is some of the same principles apply in places that we think they don't, such as remote work. And that's, that's where I started looking at how do some of these principles apply as far as collaboration? What does it mean to collaborate, whether it's synchronous or asynchronous? Or what does it mean to collaborate when we're not all in the same place at the same time? And does it matter? Uh, so those are some of the things that I was looking at in the past. And as I uh, kind of gave you a subtle hint as we were getting ready, there's some other areas I'm starting to explore there now, too. Cool. You know, that the the way you frame that, you definitely got my, as Rick likes to say, my tail wagon as far as um, areas that are still left to explore. I, I know for me, um, one of the one of the gas pedals to being on the show is is that very reason saying we haven't arrived yet. Surely there's areas to reimagine or go deeper. And so I, I want to ask you probably the probably the most could be the most obvious question is do you get pushback on your emphasis or ideas on distributed and remote working 
um, because of uh, for our listeners, there are a series of principles associated with the Agile Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And the sixth principle says the most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a development team is face-to-face -face conversation. So there's just been this very strong culture since the beginning of co-location, working in the same place. And so for an Agile thought leader to come and say, hey, actually, there's a whole lot that's possible and that kind of let's explore this further. Do you get hit with those kind of tensions or could you unpack your thoughts on that, Mark? So the, the short answer is, oh, yes, I get pushed back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you got to keep in mind that when the manifesto came out, it was at a point where the technology was not really supportive of long distance collaboration. Um, but not long before that, the technology was not really supportive of automated testing, but that came very quickly because people made a push for that. So you ended up with, uh, you know, the J unit frameworks and X, you know, all the unit frameworks and that, and then people said, hey, if we can do that, can we do automated acceptance testing? So we pushed those boundaries pretty quick, but the remote work, because the thinking was we have to be face to face, uh, that there wasn't a necessity to push that. However, any large organization you're in, you're not all gonna be in the same location. There's, there's just, it's, it rarely happens. And that was most of my professional experience, no matter what team I was working with, 95% of the time, somebody was elsewhere. And I, I had to figure out some way to make it work. And not just as a band-aid, but really make it a collaborative effort. How do you treat this person as equal? And that's where I started questioning, what does face-to-face mean for us now? Because the technology is very different. I mean, right now we don't have our cameras on, we're just audio here. But if we all had our cameras on, there is face-to-face -face, in a sense. Mm -hmm. are, we, are, we, are we reading all the body language? No, but there's ways to do that. So yeah, I, that's, that's one of the things I push back on when, when, I, when I get those, oh, well, this will never work here. Strangely enough, I heard the same thing about Agile 20 years ago, but yeah. That's good. I, I, I've, I've struggled with the same question and wondered you can't you can't kind of contradict something that is enshrined and kind of canonical right now. And so it's a matter of what does this mean? And so you're saying, like, what does this mean for us today? That's yeah. uh, that's awesome. And it is true. Right now, you, we can communicate face to face with a click of a button. And we do get that broad that much wider bandwidth of communication. And so that we are not contradicting in any way the principle set out there. So I, I, I once heard recently, and I can't remember who it was that was arguing this, but they said, you know, is it time to update the manifesto? You know, and, I, you know, not so much necessarily every single principle and everything like that. But, you know, are these still valid principles for the work that is being done today and the the scope that Agile as an idea kind of encompasses? Is there something that needs to be updated on that manifesto? So I guess I'm just kind of putting that out there for conversation amongst ourselves based on what we were just talking about. And then I have so, another, another weird question, but let's let's stick with that one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I want to I'll respond to that one. Yeah. So 
again, the, the manifesto was was written within a certain context and a certain time where mm -hmm. and, and I had I had suffered some of those uh, bookshelves full of processes, so to speak, mm. that that, you know, thou shalt follow this process and, and there was no deviation. Yeah. And and guess what? You delivered garbage uh, most of the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of us got really tired of that. And that was sort of the, this, that's sort of what gave birth to the manifestos. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to, to understand what does the customer really need and understanding that need might change and how can you adjust with it? Mm -hmm. It was, it was very radical. Um, so rather than saying, I, I, so I'm going to answer your question with a question. Okay. So rather than saying, does the manifesto need to be updated? I instead ask, what's after the manifesto? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see. Can we frame that? Yeah. 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 Because we're in a different context now. We're in a different space. So I, the, I think the manifesto is fine for for what it represents. But there was the manifesto. Then there was, you know, there was agile. And there's DevOps, mm -hmm. and then there was, you could argue whether it was DevSecOps or Scaling Agile came next, but these different things are evolving around our work. And now we're talking about, can we really work anywhere? Yeah. I, I mean, Each one of those, we're, we're starting to question how we work. Does it make sense now? Do we need to work differently? It's interesting that you say that because my next kind of oddball question that I mentioned was, you know, with with what's going on now, and not to sound corny or weird, but with the the whole idea of the metaverse, right? And you know, maybe to a, to a to a different extent, and just as you'd be in, into this with with the whole DAO concept. And, and I want to be and I want to be really clear that yeah, Facebook did not create the metaverse. Yeah, right? I just put that out. There. I didn't say the Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, no, guys, Zuckerberg made that up at the college. You know? Oh, <laughs> okay. No, I mean, just the whole concept of, you know, what the metaverse is, right? And then some of these these different ways of self-organizing, right? And I won't, yeah. I won't dive into the nuance there because I'm no expert, but, you know, w what does that mean? And, and I, I like that question that you had. What's after the manifesto? Because I think that would help guide at least some some direction as we kind of get into this new world, this you know this 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 Web three world that we're in. You know? so. Yeah. So let me let me let me answer it this way. So there there is a fairly sizable community of us that work successfully remotely. We mm -hmm. work in teams. We, some of us work solo. Sometimes we rearrange our teams. Uh, some of us have never met in the same location, but yet we've collaborated for years. And, and there is a trust among our work. Um, when the pandemic started, mm -hmm. people were more concerned about how do we recreate the world of work we're in now rather than what's possible. They didn't have, they didn't have the, the freedom or the choice to think about what's possible. It's just we have to survive. We have to figure out how, what we used to do in the office, we can do online. The concept of the metaverse is what else can you do? 
right. why, why do you even have to think about things like a wall? Maybe there's something different in the metaverse that, you know, maybe everything's a sphere and all your information surrounds you. You know, yeah, it sounds weird, but uh, I've been I've been in this space for a while. Mm-hmm. And how how what what does that afford you? What does that give you if you have different ways of stretching your walls or uh, pulling information out? So you think, of, you know, if you think of movies like. Um, was it Minority Report and and some of those others where you, you get a sense of here's here's this guy grabbing information out in space and pulling it here and pulling it there or the Matrix whatever you know some of the some of those things are quite possible is it something that everybody is ready for oh definitely not no no matter what Mr Zuckerberg thinks so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, man, that's that's we we went straight down the rabbit hole on this one. <laughs> uh, because because um, the, the, what's really got me excited over here is you know it seems like um, the way in which we work together is going through or has gone through similar stages as like interfaces where at first you know you had the the skeuomorphism where interfaces were made to look like something like stitched leather right and they were like what are we doing we're we're replicating this is silly we can make it look like anything but then like the bounds were so big there's a learning curve because you get a you get a calculator app and it's shaped like a triangle and got wheels on the side or you know it's kind of like there's a learning curve there because you don't have a previous experience to build upon. And then, the, you know, the third iteration is like, listen, there is a creativity with that builds upon previous notions. It actually gives us more than the previous two. And, and, and some things that we've seen recently related to online working is people building almost virtual places because we're hardwired for space and geography. And the idea is that even maps to our natural inclinations of like, well, I can go here for this bit of information or I can go there for that type of activity. And really you're still remote, but it does kind of map this hybrid experience to, to the human, you know, way of thinking, you know? Yeah. And, and it, I think it comes down to the the era that certain people have kind of grown up in. Like I have three kids and I've watched them with Discord and Steam games and Oculus Quests, you know, and, and seeing how they rapidly move between these technologies and these game spaces. And, I, and I'm looking at there's the future right there. That's what the office is going to be like. It's not going to be going to a place. It's, hey, I'm going to be online at this time. Let's let's get some stuff done. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's weird because even the way we talk about place, it's like, hey, if you're if you're in kind of this this kind of ecosystem long enough, you treat certain digital connections as places. Hey, I'm going to be in the such and such channel, or I'm going to be over at the water cooler chat or whatever you know so yeah. it begins to like merge together yeah well it 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 probably so i don't know your audience that well but probably some of them are going oh my gosh where are these guys going right now <laughs> uh, but there's 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 a practical side to this um and with everything that happened around the pandemic and people being kind of forced to be remote it did get them all thinking about how they work and and 
wow, now I can actually have my own space. I can play my own music in my space. I don't have to worry about interrupting my cube mates. I don't have to worry about being interrupted by them. Uh, this is kind of cool. And, and so, yeah, it's not the metaverse, but it's people having choice. And I think that's going to be a big part of what's next in our world of work. How much choice do you have? Um, is there is there a space where your company meets online, or does everyone become more of a type of freelancer, for instance? So yeah. there's, Ooh, there's that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking, Justice. You, I mean. That, that whole freelancer comment is enticing to me. It was the, the concept of, of being somebody who's kind of, a, a, for lack of a better term, a gun for hire, right? And, uh, and able to kind of say, hey, this is what I do, and I'm part of an organization, but maybe not part of a company. You know, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, but the interesting part is, having freelanced, is you're never really solo. You've got an accountant. You've got maybe a virtual assistant, maybe a few that you're sure, working sure. with. Especially if if you're successful, you've got you've got to have somebody to help you with the stuff you don't want to deal with, uh, so you can focus on the stuff you're good at. How is that different from what we do in our teams? Yeah. Now you know it. it what's um. What's deep about this, right, is um, if we think about the old world, the old world is, hey, we're paying for your time or pay for your 40 hours. We know we've bought your time because you're sitting in this chair and we're sitting over here. We kind of watch the whole floor to this more of like uh, you have um, individuals with portable, uh, uh, valuable skills, right? They're kind mm -hmm. of floating resources that could do anything for anybody, right? Like suddenly I, I got to think that it becomes important now to it, try to quantify that because before you could what the, what's the quantification? Well, the quantification is 40 hours sitting in this office chair in this building. Um, and, and now basically, you know, uh, have you kind of unpacked this or, or tried to unscrew this puzzle of quantifying the value to, to hundred percent fluid remote kind of individuals and that whole, challenge there well let me put it this way if i completely worked it out i'd probably be hanging out with zuckerberg <laughs> right yeah, now yeah you wouldn't be on the show right place. now <laughs> yeah so, um but uh no i just talked to you guys come on um but there's there's so many different things shifting right now um there's there's people questioning place we talked about that uh, and it places not just the office or it, it could be, do I really need to live in a big city for tech? Not necessarily, because there's, I just read yet another article. Um, it was, it was um, I think it was a BBC article that was talking about uh, migration from Argentinian cities, uh, major hubs out to um out to the the rural areas because people are realizing there oh i don't have to be in a big city now even though argentina is not necessarily um, like the us or or uh some other countries that are known for their tech but they've got some really good developers down there i've worked with some of them and 
and so now those folks who are skilled, who are very um, not only skilled in their development, but also skilled in working remotely are starting to realize, hey, I not only can work for any company in the world, I don't even have to work in a big city now. And, and so that idea of completely disrupting place is, I mean, it's, it's just fascinating. And I, I still can't tell where, where it's going to take us. And so employers are already feeling this. Uh, you might have heard of that thing called the great resignation. Uh, uh, I think we're going to see several ways of it. As people realize, oh, you're saying I have to be here in this space for 40 hours, regardless of how I do my work. And no, I think I want something different. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I think we're just going to see more ways of that as people decide, I want to live here. I want to work this way. I, I want to, not not for everybody, but but some are going to seriously rethink that now. Question for you, Mark. Did you did you arrive at this um, destination through the path of, well, remote is possible but not ideal, and then pass through that to like actually this is a supercharged ability that can be leveraged, or did you go directly to the end? You know, does that make sense? Honestly, I I wasn't sure. It, it, I would say more accidental discovery. So I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I just knew I had clients, I had client teams that I needed to help, and they had some unusual contacts called remote. And in some cases, it might be one person remote. In some cases, it might be clusters of people here, clusters of people there. Uh, and I need to figure out how, is there a way for them to work together? That's part, well, actually, that's a lot of what the, that book is about, that first book. And some other things I'm working on now is how can you do that faster, more fluidly? So that's some of the things I'm, I'm working on now uh, with uh, folks like April Jefferson and um, some, some other uh, folks in the remote space. Yeah, well, you know, just uh, to pull this directly uh, from from your book, and I freely, you know, Rick and myself freely borrowed from it in articulating our own defense for not going back to a hybrid oh, yeah. approach. Is you said you said that the why, and you say uh, companies get the ability to hire the most talented people, so the company wins. Two companies uh, get gain resiliency. There's no issues of weather and road closures or physical challenges, right? And then um, the next one was um, uh, people want the ability to avoid commute time. And so when you kind of put it that it's a win for the organization and for the workers, it's kind of, um, it seems to be an easy sale to someone who's honestly open-minded um, and maybe not plagued by some of the deeper issues of a, a lack of, of a culture, a lack of trust or, or something like that, you know? It's interesting too because I, I know just, just going back from a practical, uh, you know, view of things too. I remember Justice, and not to not to talk about this and belabor a point too much, but I remember you know beginning of the uh, the the whole pandemic and you know 
for as, as bad and unfortunate as that is, it was very interesting because I think both you and I had views of what could be possible, right? And I know personally, I, I thought, boy, uh, you know, I, I don't understand why, you know, I personally necessarily need to be here all the time for these. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, I guess, from the view of an agilist, right? And, uh, you know, or a scrum master or an agile coach or project manager or a PO. There were times where it felt like we're doing things in person because we've never done anything remotely. Um, and on top of that, when we were there, it was like certain members of teams didn't need to be there, but ended up just kind of being there to facilitate and babysit. And then when this this whole pandemic came about and we made this shift out of necessity into being remote or mostly remote in some cases of some companies, um, there was this whole shift in mindset, too, of, a, of like a culture of self-service. And so we had these ideas of, OK, here's how we can move things from our perspective and, and, and within our sphere of influence to remote first. But also in tandem with that, we have to make sure that people understand that, you know, when you're remote, it's not it's not quite the same as being there and and this is a opportune time to understand that there is you don't need a babysitter you know to to do something to talk about something to to uh to address something to estimate something you don't need a, a facilitator all the time that stuff can happen ad hoc and naturally so that was kind of an interesting thing i saw too and we focused on when we started kind of making the shift to remote first in our our own spheres of influence yeah. very interesting yeah, there there was a so so thank you for that because it, it reminds me of a blog post I wrote um, was it July of 2020 and so this is when I was I was wrestling with how can I easily explain to people what's different about remote and it as I thought about it it's like I I remember in the 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 early days of Scrum courses and things like this. You, you hear Scrum doesn't solve your problems, it just makes your problems visible. And I thought, wow, that's that's almost exactly what I'm seeing here. Um, and, th and that's when I realized my short explanation of what remote does for you is remote amplifies. Mm. So if, if you have bad, well, if you have inefficient management practices, I don't want to go the good, bad route, but mm -hmm. if you have inefficient management practices, guess what's going to get amplified? If you have bad team dynamics, guess what's going to get amplified? <laughs> so yeah. so re remote tends to amplify that. But mm -hmm. if, if you have some practices already around forming solid teams, if you had a, a really solid relationship between product management and, and the engineering teams, or if you've got just good cross-functional product management teams working with product management, they can work anywhere. They really can. And I've, I've done it for years, long before the pandemic. But if you've got some problems, that's what a lot of people experience in 2020 and 2021. And that's why we're this, um, yeah. that's where some of the problems that really showed up. It's like, oh, this is really bad. Well, it's not remote. It's just yeah. remote is putting up big magnifying glass on your problems is amplified you know i i, I think it that's a really interesting point you're making too because i i found personally too the areas that maybe we hadn't addressed or maybe were out of our control too i felt personally stressed out you know i i like the whole remote concept believe me i'm a proponent um but 
you know, I felt stressed out where I'm like, this is, this is not right. Um, and I don't really have the control necessarily to, to make much of a difference here, but I feel stressed out because this is not right and it's being amplified and it, you know, yeah. all pain points are coming up in your face remotely. So. Yeah. 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 It's the same kind of idea. Uh, and maybe you guys have done this in, in your work when let's say you've got like two week time boxes in whatever you're doing and mm -hmm. you want to see what'll break. We'll go to one week time boxes, go to a, go to something more constraining, more challenging, and you'll see where your process is broken. And it's the kind of, it's sort of the same thing with remote is if you put things in a remote context, you'll see where things are broken. Mm -hmm. Man, that's, uh, that is deep. And, and that is so true. I'm glad you mentioned that quote. Um, about how it just shows shows the pain points, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, one thing I want to mention you 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 mentioned um, in your book there's four basic types of distributed teams, and you kind of um, describe them as a satellite remote, cluster remote, multi hybrid, and then the the nebula is the the truly like the the full remote yeah. across the board, right? It seems like at the same time, you know, there's there's some other other things I've seen, I think there's the async manifesto, there's GitLab's mm -hmm. kind of like proud, like remote first org, which is like, not we're not just compatible, but like we start this way, everyone here is remote. So there's no async asymmetry there, right? And then even a group that you've done work for is like a remote AF.co. Yeah. Um, and so like, th there's all this like thought coming into this. Um, um, you know, what's the what's the balance or the, the difference between like async and then like flow balance? Because you talk about in your book that um, there has to be some enough of an overlap to kind of get that, to avoid the handoff pattern. Mm -hmm. But the async almost kind of assumes that there's a handoff pattern going. So what's, what's the balance there between those two things or, or all that? Excellent question. Next. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, Ooh, so, when, yeah, dodge that bullet. No, um, no. When when Johanna and I wrote the book, we had we had both worked in many different scenarios where people were anywhere from you know one hour time zone separated to thirteen hours. So there were. Uh, I, I allude to it in the book. I don't specifically describe this, but um, I have done some Department of Defense contracting where you might be on one side of the planet and part of your team is on the other side of the planet. And a lot of people in IT can relate to that, except in those situations, you are very restricted in how you talk to that other side of the planet. Um, and, and there's certain windows of communication and, and so from some of those scenarios, Johanna and I both assumed, all right, you've got to have some sort of overlap for people to work collaboratively. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of worker bees kind of working in their own mini silos. Mm -hmm. I'm challenging that. I'm challenging myself on that one right now. That's That's the work I'm doing right now. Uh, so I've I've been diving deeper into asynchronous work. I'm I'm doing I 
I don't have enough that I can go into details just yet, but um, I'm I'm running. I've run some completely asynchronous retrospectives. I'm starting to run some bigger experiments and seeing, okay, how far you know how far can we turn the asynchronous knob? So like if we turn it to eleven, what happens? <laughs> so yeah, so uh, trying trying to explore that now because I do speak with organizations. And, and, you know, there's companies like Automatic, uh, creators of WordPress. They've, they've been around for over a decade now, and they are primarily async. And, and I know some people in that space, and I'm, and I'm learning a little bit more about how they use asynchronous work. And they're actually very good about sharing it. Uh, there's, there's even um, a couple sites now that emphasize the asynchronous nature of, of work. So my, my point is, there is yet another boundary for us to explore. So Mark, I, I really want to ask a question. And, um, uh, you know, I'm sure we can't explore every facet of it right now. But give me, if you would, an example of like an how an async, um, maybe a sprint plan or a release plan or, or even a retrospective might might be run from from maybe the thousand foot view. I mean, have you found any successful you know ways of doing that, or, or hey, this is predominantly this, the most successful way of doing something like that? Well, so let me let me give you uh, a story of an actual team that I worked with cool. uh, for a asynchronous retrospective, and and then we can we can extrapolate from there. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so uh, one team I was working with, and this was a, I guess you could classify this as a DevSecOps team, more on the ops side. So they had um, many different products that were kind of coming into their space that they had to either integrate or get get launched into whatever environment. And I'm, and I'm purposely be, being vague because otherwise I'll identify them and I, I don't want to do that. Um, but they just had a lot going on. And some weeks got more challenging than others. Mm -hmm. They were they were very, I would say a very agile team. They were very collaborative. They were very quick to jump in and help each other. They were very quick to uh, look at options as a team, especially if they were shifting or changing the infrastructure that they were in charge of. Uh, and they would, they would they would gather opinions and they would provide recommendations to management and and say, okay, you know, here's the direction. And I would say most of the time management said, yeah, that sounds pretty reasonable. Let's go that route. There was a period of time and they were, they were the, the point that I was working with them, they had shifted from scrum to more flow based. So they had a cadence to certain things, but it was not all within the same time box. Not everything was within the same two weeks, I'll put it that way. But there was a cadence to planning. Planning would ha happen on a regular cycle. Um, their former reviews were a little different, but they happened in a regular cycle. And they liked to have retrospectives together in person, online. But they were slammed this, mm -hmm. this one period of time. There's just no way they could do it. And so so I told them, I said, all right, I've got, I've got a way that I can, I see that we can do this asynchronously. Are you folks okay going for it and just trying it? They said, yeah, because there's just no way right now we can all get together. There's so many things happening. And so with that, we we set sort of a, a time frame of about a week 
And for those of your listeners who might be familiar with the Agile Retrospectives book, um, there's, there's a framework in that book that talks about certain stages of the retrospective. So for, for the first stage, gathering data, I, I basically put out a timeline. I think it's a Google Doc. I can't remember exactly. I think it was a Google Doc. It said, okay, here's, 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 a, here's a timeline. Here's some virtual sticky notes. What did you notice over this period? What, what was positive? What was negative? And I'm going to give you from this time to this time. And I would check in with them on 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 uh, chat. They were using Slack at the time, and I would just check in and say, "Hey, how's it going?" I wasn't seeing a lot of activity, and so they'd get little nudges, and they go, "Oh yeah, thanks. I've been busy. Let me let me go look at the board right now." We'd fill in part of that. Then we'd go to the next phase and say, "Okay, over these next couple of days, let's take a look at what patterns are you seeing out of this." So we're we're starting to kind of synthesize what data they saw. And, and so we went through each stage like this over a couple of days, couple of days. Now, the one thing that we were still having together were stand-ups because that was when they would triage what any anything critical that was happening. Mm-hmm. And so that would be another opportunity for me to nudge them and say, hey, do you guys have any questions about the part of the, the retrospective that we're in right now? So they would just get these nudges, say, hey, you might want to check in on this. Or I might I might kind of quickly bring up whatever board we were working on at the time as a screen share and say, hey, I was just noticing this, you know, there look like some interesting things happening. Do you guys want to talk about it for like five minutes? And sometimes we would. And so we we did this over about a period of a week, maybe really more like a week and a half. And at the end, they did come up with some things to change, some experiments to try. And then we reflected on the experience itself. I said, what did you think about that? Did that was that something you want to do again? Is that something you want to avoid? How, how do you want to do it? And they said, you know, for the struggles we were deal, dealing with time right now, that worked well. We prefer to meet the old way of retrospectives, but now we know we have another way so we don't lose the ceremony because mm-hmm. we, we like that we find value in that that reflection. So no matter what, we know we can reflect now. So that, so that, so that's how we did that asynchronously. Now let's project forward now, because this was uh, six, five, six years ago. Okay. So now we have tools that you can meet, but you don't have to be on at the same time. There's a mm-hmm. bunch of, asynchronous meeting tools mm-hmm. where you can basically toss a short video saying hey here's the start of the meeting video goes out everybody sees it they respond by sending their little videos so these these videos go back and forth and there's there's several tools right now that are are trying to fight for marketplace in this space as a way of can we still communicate can we can we come up with some meaningful interactions can we make sense of our world whether we're in planning or retrospecting uh, or we're maybe we're trying to decide on a design decision is there still a way for us to do this without us trying to wrestle with calendars 
So there's a lot of tools right now that are that are kind of trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. I honestly I don't I don't know how well it's going to work yet, but it's it's some I'm I'm running some similar experiments right now. So so I mean I, I assume going back to the kind of four basic types that you mentioned of distributed teams, you know, it, each each type kind of presents its own challenges right especially in in terms of running things asynchronous especially if you're in like a different time zone you'd have to a lot a a larger slot of time for a different activity correct so yeah you you could and you you got to be careful that's where that's where as the coach or facilitator however you want to think of it Mm -hmm. you've got to think about what's what's the frequency what's the cadence i need to run this at so mm-hmm. that we're still in this thought we're still in this conversation together mm-hmm. so when, when you set that when you set this kind of hey this is this is how we're doing things or here's how we'd like to try something right especially you said you're doing a couple of experiments now and stuff like that um you know what how do you kind of lay down the expectations for a team, maybe as a facilitator, as a coach, like uh, what I had mentioned before too, kind of, Hey, we are promoting somewhat of a level of self-service in these areas where this is what's expected. And this is, you know, this is what we're trying at this time, or this is what, this is how we execute on these sessions or these, you know, facets of planning. Um, Do you have some sort of a rally the troops moment where you lay that down and then you revisit it over time? Yeah, the first thing I do is I ask permission. <laughs> okay. Uh, where a lot of teams don't get that opportunity. Mm. Uh, so so just like the story I, I mentioned before about the, the async retrospective, I asked him, I said, are you okay with trying this? This is mm-hmm. an option for us to keep what you want to keep, but maybe do it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I never try to force an experiment. I invite people into the experiment. If they don't want to do it, great. I'll come up with something else. Not, mm-hmm. a, not a big deal. Or I'll find another way to to, to try it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I, when I when I talk to people about setting experiments, I, I tell them, make sure that you're talking with the team and not about the team mm-hmm. in the experiment because nobody wants to be the lab rat. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wondered too, real quick, along those same lines too. So the, we're talking about the team, asking permission from the team, and every team may have right a, a different desired approach. Some teams may be totally different composition than other teams. Mm-hmm. But, but maybe maybe taking that up one level of abstraction to the, you know a program level, right? So hey, everybody's got to go remote. You know something happened, whatever, or there's been a a whole directional shift where an organization says we are now remote remote first uh, and you've got multiple teams each team trying to do something potentially a little bit different based on their composition or their desires based on what you had just said um mm-hmm. but what from, from a if you're kind of tasked with looking at things from an organizational program level uh, how do you kind of how do you how do you level set at that level to you know one level kind of above individual teams so so the old school way is make everyone do the same thing. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, 
man, there there are so many lessons from Toyota, and this is yet another one. That concludes this episode of The Modern Agilist. You now have the opportunity to hear the rest of this podcast when you become a member of the Modern Agilist community. Members get access to extra exclusive content, including behind the scenes content, learning content, and much, much more. To learn more or to sign up, go to themodernagilist.net and click join the community.